1 Corinthians and chapter 1, verses 17 through to chapter 2 and verse 5. Thank you, Carl. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise um, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The consultation I was having with uh, Peter was, do you want to go on before the hymn? I said, no, delay the inevitable as uh, long as possible. But uh, um, we are going to look at the power of the cross. Now, for those... um, well, on Friday evening, there was an advisory committee meeting where the leaders and others uh, meet to discuss some of the things about peace missions. And Trevor shared a thought from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, talking about the priority of the cross and the power of the cross. Then for those of you yesterday, Gerard, speaking on the power of preaching, dealt also with um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So I was thinking, actually, I don't need to come up here at all because you've heard it before. And uh, so, well... Uh, some of the things I'll say will hopefully just reinforce what has already been said, but I trust some of the things I say will um, be extra, okay? And I trust that we can learn uh, from God's Word. Let's just have our prayer together, shall we? 
Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross, and we do pray that we boast in the cross and nothing else. Father, we pray you'd help us as we look at your word uh, now. May we learn from it, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I don't know what uh, imagery or what thoughts or ideas are triggered off in your mind if someone asks you to define power. Uh, Maybe you are a scientist, and uh, maybe... uh, I don't know if this is right or not, but I I understand that power is the rate of work. It's work divided by time, or perhaps the definition is force times distance. We'll have to ask the Stephen Taylors and Andy Max of this world... To, uh, to confirm that. But here, power describes, it's like activity, it's effective energy, things are moving. So power is activity. Or maybe uh, you've watched the latest images and footage of Hurricane Gustav, and you've seen the tremendous power there is in the wind and the waves. If you come to where I live in Clevedon, um, You go down to the sea after a storm and you see all the driftwood on the beach. Big, big pieces of wood. And you see the power of the wind and the wave. And that, if you like, power is speaking about almighty strength. All right? Power is strength. Uh, Maybe you've been watching the Olympic Games and you've seen various events and you've been watching the gymnasts. And of all the events that the gymnasts uh, do... I don't know about this one, but the Olympic rings. And you see these men holding themselves horizontal on these uh, these rings. And you see power displayed in these gymnasts. And it's the ability, in this case, to do what seems the impossible. So power can be activity. It can be almighty strength. It can be ability. Or maybe, uh, again, watching what's going on in the world, you're taking an interest in the forthcoming presidential elections in the United States, and you see John McCain and Barack Obama um, fighting who's going to be the next president. And in this sense, power describes authority. It is, uh, that's the the idea of power there. It's uh, the phrase that we use, you know, the powers that be. It describes authority. So here you have power, and uh, it's described by activity, or almighty strength, or ability, or authority. And when the Bible uses the word power, it does so in each of this four, these four ways described. And different verses, when it uses the word power, talk about activity. And when it comes to the power of the cross, there is definitely activity, there is definitely almighty strength, there's definitely ability, and there's definitely authority. And I suppose when you see um, various filmmakers, when they uh, consider the power of the cross, for them, the power of the cross is very mystical, very superstitious, perhaps even sinister. And uh, maybe they use it to stave off bad luck. But for us, the power of the cross is uh, summed up in these four words. Um, Activity, almighty strength, ability, and authority. And power is a relative term. Certainly in scientific terms, one thing can be more powerful than another. So in the Bible, we have various things that are described as powerful. And so we have a list. The Bible says this. There's the power of death. 
The Bible describes the power of darkness, the power of the air, the power of Satan, the power of the enemy, the power of sin, the power of evil, the power of the grave, the power of his anger, God's anger, uh, the power of the dog, uh, the power of the sword. So the Bible describes lots of things being powerful. And I guess the theme, well, the theme of this weekend is the power at work in us. And just to remind us, that's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. The power at work in us. Which is far greater than the power that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Which is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Now, I know I speak quite quickly. I think we should be on the next slide by now, actually. Okay, so... um, the power of the work in us is greater than the power that is at work in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2 verse 2, or any of the other listed powers. And in particular this morning, we're looking at the power of the cross. And Paul ties in the greatness of God's power to the cross and to the resurrection. And again in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 18 to 20, it says this, that you may know... What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the theme of God's power is tied into the cross and resurrection. But what I want to do this morning is look particularly at 1 and 2 Corinthians. Because I think those two books take the whole theme of the power of the cross in a wonderful way. And in 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul takes the contrast of weakness and power and looks at how that should affect us as Christians. 40% of all Bible references to weakness are in 1 and 2 Corinthians. So of all the 66 books, 40% of references to weakness are in 1 and 2 Corinthians, so here's a list. God has chosen the weak. I came to you in weakness. We are weak. To the weak, I became weak. And speaking of Paul, people said, his bodily presence is weak. I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And uh, Paul says that after listing a whole catalogue of sufferings. I will boast all the more about my weaknesses. I delight in weaknesses. We are weak. We are glad whenever we we are weak. So those are just a few of the references to weakness in 1 and 2 Corinthians. And so why does Paul boast? Why does he delight in weakness? Because he knows the power of the cross. And according to chapter 1, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, God has chosen the weak. Why? So that we can glory in Christ and the cross. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, God has chosen the weak. And in chapter 1, verse 31, so he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and 31 are the equivalent verses, I think, of Galatians 6, verse 14, where Paul says, God forbid that I should boast, save in the cross of Christ my Lord. 
And throughout these two books, right from the first chapter, chapter 1, right to the last chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul connects power with the cross. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us, us which are saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God. And then if you uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse 4, It's connecting the cross with power. It says, For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. So that's the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, and the last chapter 2 Corinthians, and throughout the whole of those two books, the theme of the power of God, of the cross. Another example, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. It says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So 1 and 2 Corinthians, and that's where we're going to focus our thoughts on this morning, is God's power in us, and through us, and despite our weaknesses, and it's all through the cross. So God's power in our weakness, for our weakness, through the cross. And we're going to consider two main points. The first is the power of the cross in our salvation. And the second is the power of the cross in our service. The former deals with God working in us, for us, and the latter deals with God working in us for others. And there are some fantastic verses about the power of of the cross in other parts of the Bible. So, for example, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, I won't quote them, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Romans chapter 8, verse 3, and many others. Those verses deal with the power of the cross. But I'm just going to restrict our thoughts to 1 and 2 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible, uh, have your finger in 1 and 2 Corinthians and uh, we'll look at some of the verses that deal with the power of the cross. So the first point is this, the power of the cross in salvation. And in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, Paul introduces this subject, the power of the cross. And in the next few verses, he tries to unpack some of what that means in terms of our salvation, or what it means to those of us who are saved. We've just uh, enjoyed together the Lord's table. And Paul is introducing here just what the power of the cross means to those of us who are saved, the power of the cross in salvation. And he introduces it in verse 17 and 18, and he if like, reaches a climax in this little section with what the power of the cross has achieved. So in verse 30, he says this, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And what I want to do is look at three ways, it's not an exhaustive list, 
Uh, but are three things which demonstrate what the power of the cross has achieved. They cannot be achieved by anything else but the cross. The cross alone has the power to change and transform us in these three areas. So the first is this. It gives us righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 and 57 say this. The sting of death is sin, and the strength or power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it talks about power of sin, but victory through Christ and the death of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, we've just read, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. Talking about the death of Christ. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. And these verses tell us that the power of the cross gives us righteousness. Righteousness refers to justification. It is to do with our standing before God. God declares us righteous because of the cross. We are justified. And as a sinless substitute, Jesus suffered for our sins, that we might, the sins might be atoned for, that the law might be satisfied, that we might be forgiven, and that we might be accounted righteous. The law demands justice. And it passes sentence. However, the law cannot help us or give any hope to the sinner. But through the cross, our sin is made over to him and his righteousness to us. None of these transactions can happen unless the power of the cross is at work. And so we read in 1 Corinthians 15... That sin has its own power. It holds us in the fear of death. And the law of God has no power to take away that fear of death. And that is why there's that need for the gospel. And it's the power of the cross that can make us righteous. We have that victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Jews, they maintained that a man might be made righteous and saved by obedience to the law. But it's the power of the cross. And that is an incredibly uh, liberating verse. That our lives, which were once held in slavery by the fear of death, have now been set free. And our lives can be lived in the light that we are justified. We need to grasp fully that our standing before God, if we're converted, is unchangeable. We are justified. We are made righteous. And we still might sin. And we battle with sin. But our standing before God is one of being justified, being righteous. And we can be confident. We need not fear, because we are righteous. Now, Warren Wiersbe uses the following illustration. You might well have read it or heard it. But a man in England puts his Rolls Royce on a boat and was going across to the continent to go on holiday. And while he was travelling around Europe, 
something happened to the motor of his car, the Rolls-Royce. And uh, he called Rolls-Royce, the people back in England, and asked, I'm having trouble with my car. What do you suggest I do? Rolls-Royce flew a mechanic over and uh, repaired the car, and the man was able to continue with his holiday. At the end of this holiday, this man was uh, wondering, well, how much is this going to cost me? They haven't sent me a bill yet, and uh, when he got back to England, he hadn't heard, so he contacted uh, Rolls-Royce. He wrote to them and asked how much he owed them. He received a letter that read, Dear Sir, there is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a Rolls-Royce. That is justification. That is being made righteous. And it's through the power of the cross. Are you confident that you are justified? If you are, you can enjoy peace with God. Being justified, we have peace with God. That is the power of the cross. The second thing, it gives us reconciliation. Now, it's a few years since uh, I uh, was in Liverpool, I was a student there, but I believe now if you go to Concert Street, no idea where that is, there is a statue or sculpture called Reconciliation. I'm looking for anyone from Liverpool to confirm that. Is that true? There is a, 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 a statue called Reconciliation of two people embracing. But the power of the cross gives us reconciliation. It follows on from righteousness. Because the demands of God's law have been fully met on the cross, we can be reconciled. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. It says, And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself. How? By Jesus Christ. I talk about his death. Verse 19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And the picture here is that two enemy parties are brought together. All hostility has been ended. And in its place is a genuine and secure family situation. God becomes our father. We become his children. And as his children, we can enjoy the benefits of a family relationship. We have access to this great God of the universe. He is a true friend. We can approach him in prayer. He wants to help us. He wants to lead us. And we want to be guided by him. He wants to provide for us. He wants to care for us. And we can trust him for all things. Abraham Lincoln was once criticised for his kindly attitude towards his enemies. And one colleague asked him, why do you try to make friends with them? You should try to destroy them instead. And Abraham Lincoln, the president, said this, Am I not destroying my enemies when I make them my friends? Jesus Christ, through the power of the cross, is our best friend. There is no barrier And reconciliation leads to this relationship or access to God. And that is a tremendous thing. It's through the power of the cross that we have Jesus Christ as our best friend. We have God 
as our Father. And the outworking of that is that we then have that ministry of reconciliation. We can tell others about Jesus Christ and peace through the gospel. So the second thing, it gives us uh, reconciliation. And the third thing that the power of the cross gives us in terms of salvation is redemption. It's listed in uh, 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. And then it's really developed in the whole chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. It looks forward, this word means, it's looking forward to the bodily deliverance from sin, which will be complete when Christ returns. It's the whole theme of 1 Corinthians 15. And 1 Corinthians 15 starts with the cross. And it moves on through to the resurrection and the bodily redemption. The fact that one day we'll be free from sin. And the whole theme of weakness and and power does come out in 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about our bodies being sown in weakness, but being raised in power. And the power of the cross is such that we will be free from sin for all eternity. We will have a bodily redemption. We will be free from sin. And it's a power that will last. Now, uh, things that are, have power today, they, 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 they pack up, don't they? This uh, summer, on Lyme Regis Speech Missions, our windscreen wipers were getting slower and slower. And uh, we thought, well, we took it to the garage and they were working fine, so we left them. Until we got on to our family holiday when, in pouring rain, late at night, driving back to the campsite, ten miles to go, they packed up all together and trying to drive ten miles in pouring rain, without any windscreen wipers, is a challenge. But, no, the motor had to be replaced. Uh, £284 just for a windscreen wiper motor. All right. But, it has power, but it packed up. But the God's power is eternal. And we'll see the benefits of it in eternity. Benjamin Franklin was, um, well, I say he's a famous American. He did all kinds of things. He was an inventor. He was a um, an author, he was a printer, he was all kinds of things. But he wrote um, his epitaph when he was 22. And this is what he said. He said, The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its content torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost. For it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. And the power of the cross, it gives us redemption. It leads to a resurrection and a future presence with God. We need to be looking forward to that. We need to have that eternal perspective that Christ one day will call us home and will be with him forever. And our full redemption will happen. And the Bible relates it to the power of the cross. So the power of the cross in salvation. And then secondly, the power of the cross in service. It is not something that is just experienced in the past. The power of the cross is the very essence of our Christian existence. It should be relevant to you today as much today, even more today, 
than it was when you were first converted. The power of the cross is the essence of our Christian existence. It should be central in our thinking and in our ministries. And I've picked out three areas that should be governed by the power of the cross from 1 and 2 Corinthians. So the first is this. It's the message of our preaching. And these are the verses that were quoted in advisory on, on uh, Friday evening and yesterday morning. Tremendous verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We've already quoted it once this morning. But for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2, 4 and 5. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of, of men, but in the power of God. And 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 it says, I deliver, um, it talks about that being of first importance. First of all, uh, Christ died according to the scriptures. And the story is told of Alice, who on a Monday morning went to the pet shop and bought a parrot. She wanted someone to talk to and to listen to. But it didn't talk. So the next day she returned it to the pet store, went back to the pet store and said, My parrot doesn't speak. He needs a ladder. She was told. So she bought a ladder, but another day passed and the parrot didn't, still didn't say a word. How about a swing? So Alice bought a swing. By the way, I hope you're not an animal lover. All right. Apologies if you are, because this story, well, anyway. The next day, a mirror. The next day, a miniature plastic tree. The next day, and apparently you can get these, a shiny parrot toy. Now, early the, next, uh, early the following week, the uh, still, no success really. Uh, so Alice, um, one morning, goes back to the pet store, standing outside the pet store, waiting for it to open. She had the parrot cage in her hand and tears in her eyes. Her parrot, parrot was dead. The pet owner, the pet uh, shop owner said, did it ever say a word? Yes, Alice said through the sobs. Right before he died, he looked at me and asked, don't they sell any food at the pet store? <laughs> now, Alice has got everything else right. The swing and the, and the mirror and the ladder, but has forgotten the essentials. And often we forget the essentials when we preach. And Paul is saying that the cross is the centre of the gospel message. It is of first importance. And perhaps it's hard for us to understand how unbelievable to Paul's hearers in Corinth it was that salvation was found in none other than this man who was crucified. And he admits that. He says the message of the cross is foolishness to the Jews and positively scandalous um, the blasphemous to the Jew. And the pressure was to cut out this bit of the message. The pressure was huge to cut this bit out. 
And in the contemporary Greek culture, power and wisdom counted for everything. And the death on the cross of a man from Nazareth didn't seem to fit in. But there must be no compromise. He had to preach the cross. It is central. It challenges the very belief system of the non-Christian. And we do this. We preach the cross. And we don't do it with uh, words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13. We don't rely on human wisdom. Because if we do, the cross of Christ is of none effect, is emptied of its power. The effectiveness of the gospel can be destroyed if we rely on our own clever arguments or persuasive ability. We rely on the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, and we preach Christ and the cross. And as we think about our evangelism, whether it's one-to-one, whether it's preaching from the platform, are we making much of the cross? Are we explaining that Christ had to die? Are we explaining that when Christ died, he was bearing in his body our sin? Are we explaining the whole process, the transaction that God was punishing his son? All God's anger was being placed on Jesus Christ. We are weak men. We do have a weak message. We do employ a weak method. But the paradox is that when we do that, it comes with power. And so the power of the cross is seen in the message of our preaching. We preach Christ. The second thing, the power of the cross in our service is this. I've called it the mainstay in our suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. For as the sufferings of Christ abound, so talking about the death of Christ, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. Then we have uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 and 10. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. My strength is made perfect in weakness, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. How do we cope with the very real area of hardship and suffering? Paul, as he writes, we look at this beginning, Paul, as he writes 1 and 2 Corinthians, talks about weakness. He uses it time and time again. Paul's experience was one of very real suffering. How did he cope? He coped by referring back to the cross and the power of the cross. It's in this context that he knew 
the power of the cross in his life. He knew that in his suffering he could look back to the cross, refer to what Christ went through, and it helped him cope with hardship and suffering. One person commented, the grace and power of God interlock with human lives at the point of mortal weakness. Now, Paul's sufferings were varied. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 33, you have a whole list of those things. His uh, sufferings were intense. In 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, We were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. And yet he knew victory. And it's in hard times that God's power is made perfect in weakness. The power of the cross enables us to carry on. 2 Corinthians 4, one of the tremendous passages on suffering, tells us that Paul endured and was able to carry on because of the cross. He learns absolute reliance on God. He learns that through his sufferings, others are shown Christ. He learns that through his sufferings, the gospel can be spread. He learns that God is glorified. He learns that he can become a channel of blessing. And he learns to keep eternity in perspective. All because of the cross. Now, we can't possibly cover the whole uh, big area of suffering in a few minutes. But if you are struggling with suffering, if things are hard... We need to look to the cross and thank God for the power of the cross. Maybe you're a young person, and actually life hasn't been too bad, but there will come a time when you will suffer, when you will have hard times. How are you going to cope? We need to be absolutely confident in the cross and the power of the cross. It gives us an anchor in the storms of life. Knowing that Christ has died and risen again in resurrection power. And we need to be assured of that fact. Because when tough times come, if we're relying on anything else, we will struggle. So we need to boast in our weaknesses and rest in Christ's power. And as we do that, we can be strong. And it's the power of of the cross that's the mainstay in our suffering And then finally, it's the motivation for our service. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says this, For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we are also weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. He's talking about the power of the cross having an outworking in the lives of others. It's so that we might serve one another. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15 says that, it talks about the cross, and it says why? So that we should no longer live for ourselves. It's talking about a life of discipleship. And these verses teach us that one of the outworkings of the power of the cross is that we can serve one another. 1 Corinthians particularly is written to deal with so many different problems in the church. And they're all stemming really from selfishness. They're all stemming from 
wanting their own way. And therefore Paul talks much of the cross because he has to deal with this attitude of selfishness and he wants to teach we need to serve one another. So right in chapter 1, at the start of the book, there's this whole uh, discussion about divisions. Some people are following this person, some people are following that person. So what does Paul do? He refers them back to the cross. And throughout the whole of these two books, time and time again, Paul talks about areas of Christian ministry and service and relates them back to the cross. He talks about the area of giving and he refers it back to the Christ who died on the cross. He talks about a caring attitude and fellowship with other believers. And he says this, How the cross is really the motivation for our service. Is there some tension between you and another Christian? Well, we need to go back to the, the cross, reflect on Christ and his death. And as we do so, it gives us the power to restore any broken relationship. If you want to be involved in Christian ministry, if you want to be a true disciple, that we no longer live for ourselves, we go back to the cross, see what Christ has done, and that becomes our motivation for service. And Paul deals time and time again specifically with issues of relationships by showing us the power of the cross. And so the power of the cross, it's the message of our preaching, it's the mainstay in our suffering, it's the motivation for our service. And there are great passages which tell us how we should live as Christians, not just what happened in the past, but what should be happening today and for the future. We need to let the cross determine our relationships with others so that we have that servant attitude. Now, when I was asked to speak on the power of the cross, the first um, conversations I had with Dave were, um, no thank you very much, find someone else, uh, but he's bigger and older than me, so he won. And I suppose when I started thinking about this, the verse that immediately came to my mind was 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, describing the preaching of the cross as the power of God. But then as I started looking at this, and uh, looking through 1 and 2 Corinthians, the power of the cross affects every area of our Christian life. And there are other things I haven't dealt with. For example, the whole subject of holiness and separation is, refers back in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, back to the cross. And the power of the cross is that it's given us a standing before God where we're justified, we're reconciled, we look forward to the eternal redemption and glory in heaven. But the power of the cross is that we, we preach Christ, we can cope with hard times, and we serve one another. A chap called Vance Havner said this, we need men of the cross, uh, with the message of the cross, bearing the marks of the cross. The power of the cross is a real power. We need to experience it on a day-to-day -day basis.